Kia ora. today we are talking about the How Collaborative Position Paper on the Management of Thrombocytopenia in Pregnancy. Uh, this is a New Zealand and Australia group um, that have put together this uh, paper, uh, which was published in ANSJOG April 2021. Uh, and it gives a really good summary of causes, investigations and management principles for thrombocytopenia in pregnancy. Um, they basically all uh, did a literature review for certain aspects of uh, investigation and management and then uh, met together and presented those and had a good talk uh, and then came up with consensus recommendations. Uh, they have noted that everything is um, limited by a lack of high quality clinical data, so all recommendations are National Health and Medical Research Council Grade C. Um, I think that they're hopefully all better than nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So So, uh, thrombocytopenia, as we know, essentially means low platelets, less than 150 times 10 to the 9 per litre. And it occurs in 8 to 10% of all pregnancies. Usually the causes, well, usually the thrombocytopenia itself is mild and benign. Uh, There are multiple causes, um, and it's either due to decreased production or increased destruction of platelets. These causes can be anything from a spurious result or accounting error uh, to gestational thrombocytopenia, which is the most common, about uh, 75%, primary ITP, secondary ITP, due to something like HIV or hepatitis or SLE, a pregnancy-associated microangiopathy, so this is your preeclampsias, your HELPs, your TTPs, your HUSs, acute fatty liver of pregnancy, and then things like splenic sequestration, bone marrow disorders, nutritional deficiencies, and antiphospholipid syndrome, as well as some congenital and drug-induced causes. So there's a vast range of reasons, and one would hope, particularly with the, the latter causes, that you may already have an idea Uh, pre-pregnancy that this might be an issue but particularly the pregnancy associated microangiopathies ITP and gestational thrombocytopenia are all things that have to be teased out uh, when the diagnosis of thrombocytopenia is initially made. Yeah so all pregnancies are affected by a general drop in platelets. Um, Gestational thrombocytopenia uh, will uh, account for 70 to 80 percent of these cases um, and usually when the platelets are between 100 and 150, uh, with no other clear concerns, that's going to be the diagnosis. Uh, gestational thrombocytopenia and ITP are both diagnoses of exclusion. Um, they don't have any kind of good gold standard test to identify them, uh, and so you do have to at least consider other causes before um, assigning these diagnoses. Um, in terms of just previous uh, knowledge, one assessment of ITP uh, is antiplatelet antibodies uh, but these are neither specific nor sensitive uh, and so aren't recommended in this um, guideline for use uh, nor by up to date or anything else we could find Um, so yeah diagnosis of exclusion it can be quite helpful if a woman has a pre-existing diagnosis of ITP or if you look back through previous results and can find that she's always had uh, low platelets but failing a pre-pregnancy platelet count is very, very difficult to um, tease out the difference during pregnancy. Yeah, so diagnosing ITP, uh, it can be at least be considered um, if your thrombocytopenia is prior to conception in early pregnancy or if the platelet count falls below 70. Uh, 
up to date says that a platelet count less than 100 is very unlikely to be gestational thrombocytopenia. Um, in this uh, paper here, they talk more about a platelet count of 70. Um, though I think that generally platelet counts between 70 and 100 are fairly rare themselves. So usually I think these other ones will declare themselves, but we're always on the, aiming to try to pick them up early. Um, gestational thrombocytopenia will usually get kind of worse as you go on through the pregnancy. So with the lowest platelets, usually around the time of delivery, whereas ITP will be more, um, will just randomly occur uh, at times, uh, unless it's triggered by something else. Uh, and then I suppose the other major group of causes, all these common reasons we see low platelets would be the pregnancy associated microangiopathies. So most commonly um, preeclampsia or HELP. Um, but I guess any time you see uh, hemolysis or anybody, I suppose, who's sick, then you're going to be looking at these reasons um, as a cause of the thrombocytopenia rather than the diagnoses of exclusion. So I guess the first thing to do would be to tease out if this woman is well or unwell, if this is someone you're seeing assessing because she's jaundiced and nauseated and really looking unwell as compared with oh, a referral for platelets of... 95 or 110 or something like that and an otherwise well woman who's an outpatient and who is at home um, but as a baseline for tests that could be considered for pregnant women with thrombocytopenia sort of probably in that 90 or less than 90 range or definitely less than 70 you perform a full blood count in reticular sites as well as a blood smear you do coags renal and liver function thyroid function a direct coombs test for hemolysis antiphospholipid antibodies, anti-nuclear antibodies, HEP-B, C, and HIV. And then you could consider helicobacter pylori, vitamin B12 and folate, and immunoglobulins. Yeah, so these tests are all suggested when the platelet count falls below 70, uh, I suppose, if or if the uh, level of suspicion is increased uh, beyond general. They're so, falling rapidly. Yeah, so I guess often you would see, for instance, like in an outpatient setting, um, a referral for low platelets. So the threshold is once the platelets are less than 150, you should be monitoring them. And so this is monthly during the pregnancy until 36 weeks and then fortnightly. This way, hopefully you will pick up if you get a massive drop. Um, when it Probably when it falls below 100, it's at least when you should be having a good think about other causes. Um, and I think below 70 is the, the threshold for where really further investigation you know, is clearly indicated. Um, common things you'd want to obviously rule out your common things like preeclampsia. And so treatment will depend on what the cause is. So obviously for your microangiopathies, it's a very different um, treatment plan as compared with gestational or ITP. A couple of general principles. If the patient is on aspirin for um, any indication, it should not be withheld until the platelet count is less than 50 or if the risk of bleeding is sufficiently high. Also, Intramuscular injections are contraindicated if the platelets are less than 50, so IM and TD should be given IV. Well, IM and TD should not be given IV. You should you should get the appropriate it, IV alternative. It's called IV <laughs> Rofilac. <laughs> I'm sure Blood Bank will supply this if you tell them the platelets are less than 50. Um, and I suppose that goes for all IM injections, so vaccinations as well. Um, mm. Can't be given when your platelets are that low. So now assuming that we've got either gestational or ITP, um, the treatment should be commenced for women with platelets less than 50, so that's helpful. 
Only start the aspirin if it's less than 50. Don't give the IM injections less than 50. Start treatment if it's less than 50. If there's, you know, if you're about to have birth or an invasive procedure or if there's bleeding. Failing that, if the woman is otherwise well, treatment is not indicated until the platelets are less than 20, which is mind-blowing. One platelet. <laughs> right, yeah. So, <laughs> floating around. So, so basically, gestational thrombocytopenia doesn't need treatment. Um, it shouldn't go down to these really low levels. Uh, and then generally, you, if it's not ITP, you're going to need to treat the cause. And if it's ITP, then that's where we're talking about um, these treatments. So the thresholds given are effectively, you can have a vaginal birth, an instrumental birth, or a cesarean, as long as the platelets are over 50. There is a series of 17 women who gave birth with platelets between 20 and 50, um, which were all uneventful. But they basically made the comment that this is too small a data set to make a recommendation. For instance, that vaginal birth is safe with platelets of 20 um, or above, but it's kind of implied that that's likely the outcome. But I think they still basically suggest that um, you should try to treat if the platelets are less than 50 um, with an impending birth. And those women in that trial all had ITP. Um, women with an inherited thrombocytopenia or another cause like a bone marrow dysfunction, they may also have platelet dysfunction as well as low platelets um, and so may have uh, bleeding complications at a higher platelet count, whereas thrombocytopenia alone um, might cope with lower. But yes, aiming for 50. Now 50 is still too low for neuraxial anesthesia though. So I think generally they've ex they've said 70 or above, um, of which a spinal anaesthetic is less traumatic and is at lower risk of uh, causing a spinal hematoma than an epidural. So I think it's always going to be an individualized uh, decision uh, with your anaesthetic team as to who's suitable, but as a general rule of thumb, 70 and above needed for an epidural. And so if women are in uh, late pregnancy with a platelet count falling below 70, uh, that is a time which to consider, and they're wanting neuroaxial anesthesia, um, that would be a time to consider treatment to enable that to occur. That reminds me, one of the uh, suggested uh, reasons for treatment, um, we'll get onto methods later, um, is a trial of response to treatment. A trial of prednisone is suggested in the early third trimester um, where you want to determine the response to a treatment because it, um, it can be anywhere from a few days to a few weeks before you see a platelet response. So I guess if you had a situation where somebody who was really wanting an epidural or I guess if you just they had persistently low platelets and you wanted to get them up around the time of delivery, then knowing their response uh, speed would allow you to restart the steroids at an appropriate time prior to the expected, expected delivery. In terms of your treatment options, your first line options are prednisone, um, initial dosing of 20 to 25 milligrams a day, but with higher dosing uh, if there is significantly lower platelets, i.e. less than 20, or your alternative is IVIG, and I believe they are both equally effective. That's right. But one is significantly more expensive than the other. So they provide a table of like kind of official or approved indications for the use of um, IVIG for ITP in Australia. And they make a comment saying that the New Zealand Blood Service recommends referencing Australian and British guidelines when prescribing IVIG. So for that sake, they're saying that platelets less than 100 and impending delivery, platelets less than 80 and 
life-threatening hemorrhage or platelets less than 30 with risk of hemorrhage. Um, I don't think that we'd be giving IVIG with platelets of just less than 100 and impending delivery, but I suppose it's a, it's fairly broad. It's, mm. There doesn't seem to be much in the way of restriction to it, but um, I guess you'd need a fairly good reason for not using steroids first as they're far more accessible and cheap. Um, but IVIG does have a more rapid, more predictably rapid response, but they still say it's two to seven days. So I don't think it's going to be that much use. With an impending delivery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe for your secondary PPH. Yeah. Uh, so the recommendation is that um, prednisone or intravenous immunoglobulin may be used for first-line treatment of ITP, and that when prednisone is used, we suggest an initial dose of 20 to 25 milligrams daily for most women. For women with platelets below 20, a higher initial dose of 40 to 50 milligrams daily may be considered. Uh, and then when it comes to the use of IVIG, they suggest one to two grams per kg as a single or divided dose. Now, both of these obviously have side effects. For prednisone, uh, this is a worsening of your gestational diabetes, hypertension, poor sleep, gastritis, and mood disturbance. Um, and they just make a note that dexamethasone crosses the placenta, so it's not recommended for use. That's right. IVIG, on the other hand, has adverse events including infusion reactions, headache, aseptic meningitis, and thrombosis. It's important to note when you're using steroids um, in pregnancy for any reason uh, that women receiving more than 5 milligrams of PRED for over 3 weeks have risk of renal insufficiency, and so peripartum hydrocortisone should be administered. And they give guidance on this. They suggest a 50 milligram IV or IM dose of hydrocortisone every six hours once in active labour, stopping six hours postpartum. And if the woman has a caesarean, to give 100 milligrams IV hydrocortisone uh, at the time of anaesthesia, and then another 50 milligrams uh, six hours after delivery. So a woman should get at least two doses. Yeah, and this seems to be consistent with the NICE guidelines um, when they mention hydrocortisone in labour. Combination of IVIG and steroids can be effective in those who are unresponsive to single-agent therapy and is actually recommended to try the combination before you move on to second-line treatments. Just in terms of the delivery suite um, context, we mentioned that both of these take have a bit of a lag period um, before they start working. So if you've got platelets that are too low for safe delivery, then I think platelet transfusion is going to be your primary um, management option. Uh, however, platelets are rapidly uh, removed from circulation, and so there probably is that's probably where the role of um, steroids or IVIG plus a platelet transfusion is going to help because those platelets that are transfused won't be there in a few days' time, but hopefully by then the IVIG or prednisone will have started to treat your ITP. Mm. So in terms of second-line treatments, um, they basically just go on to give uh, a list of um, what's available. So some uh, there's an immunosuppressive treatments, so azathioprine and cyclosporin uh, have reported response rates of 30 to 60% um, and are well tolerated. Um, maternal splenectomy is an option uh, and platelet transfusion. Uh, the ones that are kind of further down the list because of a lack of data to support their use is uh, rituximab, which is a monoclonal antibody, which has had response rates up to 60%. Um, but can cause infusion reactions in neonatal lymphopenia. Uh, and there's also thrombopoietin receptor agonists. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure if they'd be available, but those are possibilities. 
they do specifically um, list some contraindicated ones um, because um, of their potential harm in pregnancy. Uh, that's adanazole, cyclophosphamide, mycophenolate, uh, and alkaloids. Uh, and then they also mention that they recommend against the use of rhesus D immunoglobulin, which we know is mentioned in Catherine Nelson Piercy, um, and they basically just say it's not authorised for this indication. Now, it is important to note if you are now down the line looking at second-line treatments, um, that failure to respond to first-line therapy should prompt careful consideration and possibly reinvestigation of alternative diagnoses. Yeah, I suppose you should state that when your platelets are in these concerning ranges, care is going to be in an MDT uh, setting. So um, I think the audience of this podcast won't be making calls <laughs> on these second-line agents, so your friendly haematologist um, has hopefully had a read of this and read beyond as well. Uh, moving on to intrapartum um, and anesthesia considerations. I know we've sort of touched on the anesthesia um, decision-making already, uh, but essentially, on arrival to hospital, women should have, these women should have a platelet count done and the anaesthetist should be contacted, um, and then they can have that discussion about uh, the options that will be available. Yep, and they say platelet transfusion prior to neuroaxial analgesia may be indicated. So in terms of timing and place of birth and model of care, um, there is an increased risk of PPH. So this means that women should be in a place where PPH can be promptly treated, in New Zealand, this would be in hospital. Mode of birth should be determined by usual obstetric indications where there is maternal thrombocytopenia. There doesn't seem to be any uh, advantage or indication to caesarean um, as the associated risk of neonatal thrombocytopenia uh, is very low. And the main risk being ICH, ICH. which is even lower yeah. than neonatal thrombocytopenia. So. Uh, in terms of instrumental delivery, if there is a risk of neonatal thrombocytopenia, then vacuum delivery, rotational forceps, and difficult instrumental delivery should be avoided where possible. Now, uh, this can be tricky because the risk of a deeply impacted head um, at caesarean is also um, pertinent in this situation. So it will come down to individualised management in most cases. Yeah, this guideline does not clearly uh, discuss the risks of the fetus also having low platelets. When it comes to assessing whether the baby is at risk of thrombocytopenia, uh, generally there is just a low risk. So there's no recommendation about mode of birth, and there is a comment about instrumental delivery. However, it doesn't really give any specifics. Um, there's no information about how you would identify a baby at higher risk of thrombocytopenia than any other. I guess it's just that some neonates of mums with ITP are also going to have low platelets, but this does usually occur day four to seven postpartum anyway, um, and it's not in the same realm as, as babies with Nate. It's kind of a separate thing altogether, but there is an increased risk, um, at least theoretical, to these babies. So... Um, even things like decisions about fetal scalp sampling should take into account the likelihood of vaginal delivery and the maternal risks of caesarean section. So for want of a better phrase, if you're pushing it uphill, um, why, why are you bothering with doing the lactate? Whereas if you're actually likely, if this lactate is normal, to then proceed to a normal vaginal birth, with, um, then you're reducing the risk of caesarean section to both mother and baby and the risk of instrumental, then it would be worthwhile doing. 
fetal hemorrhage is very rare after fetal scalp sampling, um, particularly for lactates as opposed to pHs. So it's not um, something that is contraindicated, but as always, thought should go into the decision. Yeah, so I think maybe translating this is it's saying no heroic instrumentals, no really trying to push for a vaginal birth at all costs. So maybe bail out a little earlier than usual, but it definitely doesn't say no instrumentals and no uh, fetal scalp sampling. Postpartum for mum, women with thrombocytopenia um, should have prevention and treatment of iron deficiency anemia um, and optimization of haemoglobin, as well as the usual strategies to prevent and promptly manage PPH. So I would translate, translate that as having an IV line, delivering in hospital, getting active management of the third stage and prompt recourse to other therapies for PPH. Yeah, and then when it comes to the neonate, um, they should, in the context of uh, maternal thrombocytopenia, uh, cord blood should be taken, and if the platelet count is below 100, uh, that uh, baby should have ongoing monitoring. Um, and noting that the platelet count can fall uh, four to seven days postpartum. And so this would be a good time to check it again. If there's a known her hereditary thrombocytopenia, then the likelihood and severity of the neonatal thrombocytopenia um, is something that is outside the scope of this and should be discussed with both genetics and hematology antenatally so as to come up with a plan. Uh, the last uh, section of this article is on thrombo thromboprophylaxis. Um, and it just says that um, a normal... Uh, VTE risk assessment should be made. They mention a 510-fold increase of VTE uh, risk in pregnancy. It was non-pregnancy. Um, That's wild. Yeah. So anyway, if it's required, low molecular weight heparin, uh, as usual, is recommended as long as their platelet count is above 50, because this is, of course, an intramuscular injection. As long as they don't go on to develop HIT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this article also has a nice little table about your different pregnancy-associated microangiopathies. That is preeclampsia, HELP, TTP, hemolytic uremic syndrome, and acute fatty liver. But I think that's a talk for another day. Just don't forget about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess to quickly summarize, uh, platelet counts of 100 to 150 will be gestational thrombocytopenia most of the time, um, but at that stage monthly monitoring to 36 weeks and then fortnightly is indicated if you have a quick drop or a drop below 100 uh, you should start thinking about investigating and when the platelets are below 70 gestational thrombocytopenia is very unlikely uh, and investigation is warranted the treatments you're going to use will be steroids or ivig and if these aren't working a combination or something else if they're not working start looking for an alternative diagnosis thanks very much happy days Reference to Annabee. Yeah. I started saying it ironically and now I can't stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>